Hi, everybody, and welcome to Mecha Dragon, a podcast about all the geeky and nerdy stuff you love. Brought to you by Captain Geek and the Dark Nerd. I'm your captain, Will. And I'm your nerd, Jess. And today we are talking about a true Christmas classic, Scrooge. Scrooged. I must let everyone know that we are very privileged today to have joining us two guests. Count them two guests. Two from guests. Clay and Corey from the Two Dads Review podcast. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you for having us. It was nice to have you. You know, the uh, we're we're two dads. And and we are two dads. And they're two dads. They, and they're two dads. If my math is correct, that and makes it usually is. four dads. Ooh, so this is officially a four dads review podcast. That dad jokes Ooh. commenced. <laughs> <laughs> and commence they shall, I have a feeling. So uh, welcome to the show, guys. It's really good to have you. You know, we had Clay on the show like about a year ago. It's kind of hard to believe that it was that long because um, it feels like it's been 20 years uh, this year. Uh, since last Christmas. I've aged. Boy, does it. <laughs> Boy, yeah. So welcome to the show, Corey. It's a pleasure to have you on for the first time so that we can have both here. of the two dads. Yeah, excellent. So um, we're going to talk first in a non-spoilery way about Scrooge, uh, in case anybody cares about spoilers from a movie from 1988. Uh, but, you know, maybe there's somebody who hasn't seen it and will be inspired to do so. I, I would feel good about that. I was 10 years old. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I was about 10. We're about the same age, Jess, so I was about 10 years old when this came out. Although, I'm pretty sure I did not see it in the movie theater. I'm sure I saw it on, like, cable or something, you know, the, after it came there. But, uh, you know, we're not recording this quite on Christmas, but we will be releasing this episode right around Christmas time, if not the day of. So, Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Yeah. So, why don't we start here with some general impressions of Scrooge starring that's right you knew it Bill Murray also Karen Allen John Forsyth John Glover Bobcat Goldthwait was a privilege to see him again Uh, Carol Kane uh, David Johansson as the ghost of Christmas past which I thought from memory was like Tom Waits but uh, was totally wrong about that and um, some other, you know, uh, wonderful actors here and there. So general impressions. Let's let's start off with um, we're not going to throw Corey into the deep end quite right away. But let's so let's start with Clay. What were your general impressions on this movie, man? Well, first off, I don't think this movie could be made today. I don't think movies like this are made anymore. And this is Bill Murray's like return to Hollywood. He had taken a break for a while and. After Ghostbusters, nineteen eighty four, yeah, exactly. Ghostbusters and a, and a small part in um, Little Shop of Horrors, I believe. But this is his yeah. return, and it's his first time really being the lead of this mo- of a movie. And you know, it's a classic. It's a Christmas classic, and they don't make these anymore. And even if they had made it, they wouldn't have put it out when it came out because of just some stuff you see at the very beginning. We can get to later, but it is just. It is just a piece of cinema that just it just lives exactly when it was made and could not have been done at any other time. It, it does have a sharp satirical edge to it, I think, is kind of what you're referring to, if mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. And and yeah, I think you're probably right about that. Jess, what were your general impressions about this movie? 
Um, first, uh, before we get too much further, I want to ask, like I said, I saw this movie probably not right when it came out. Like you mentioned it, you didn't see it in theaters, but I watched it pretty close to its release. I'm just wondering, uh, the rest of you guys, when did you first see this movie? Was it around the time of its release or have any of you seen it for the first time recently? Ooh. Well, I mean, I watched it recently for the purposes of this podcast. <laughs> well, I mean, the, your first your first viewing. Oh, I mean, it must have been in like 1989 or something like that. Whenever it hit, whenever th- there was a point in time where it hit like TNT or TBS yeah. every weekend around the holidays and it played. Exactly. Yeah, I, that's what I remember it from. Because occasionally, occasionally we have a movie that like everyone's seen and then there's one person that's like i've never seen it so i just want to make sure we're all familiar with this movie from you know our younger days rather than oh i've heard about it but never watched it until just last week it's almost it would be almost kind of hard to ignore it because it seems like this has made the rounds on tv like every christmas since 1988 practically you know, and I, so. I think that's basically got to be given to Bill Murray. If Bill Murray wasn't in this movie, there'd be a lot of people that haven't seen it, I think. I mean, the I movie itself that. was put together great, but Bill Murray himself is, you know, just a fantastic actor who really nails roles and makes everything fun. So I think I can't imagine this movie with anybody else in it. Uh, in the in the lead role and you know watching this movie I hadn't seen like a Bill Murray movie in a while like like a straight up like Bill Murray is like the lead or one of the leads in a comedy haven't seen it in a while and god it made me miss him yeah it made it made me miss the Murr yeah it sucks it sucks that he died in zombie land and then they <laughs> killed him again <laughs> right that's yeah. right right, that's right okay uh cory i, hate that, I your... hate that that actually flagged a question mark in my head real quick i was like shit what did i just miss <laughs> actually I, I was... <laughs> well it is 2020 you never know what yeah i was like I mean, there's a lot of people dropping i just man i kind of felt like i would have that was that would actually let's just not talk about it let's not talk about it too much and make it true but before we move on to Corey, i still haven't talked about how i feel about this movie i just asked oh, 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 oh. um gotcha. yeah i just watched this movie a couple hours ago for the first time in a number of years and like clay said it's not a movie that could happen today and when i was watching it I felt that this movie has so much of the 80s, you know, late 80s, early 90s aesthetic that really, it it feels like it's a perfect movie. It was put together so well. It's like the storytelling, you know, this movie, it doesn't get real deep or anything, but it's a remake of a classic story. And these days, all we get is remakes upon remakes upon remakes and they generally degrade into trash. But this is, I think, a very, for the time, for 1988, a very modern remake of an older story that does um, great tribute to the original story with you know the adaptation to a modern time. And I think it's fantastic it really I love does this movie. modernize the the tale in a in a way that 
uh, makes it fresh again. I think. Yeah, it's 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 a modern take on an old story, and Bill Murray just nails the part, and he can do so many different roles, and he he plays a couple different roles through this movie because his character you know travels through his arc. And he changes as the movie progresses. And it's just a lot of fun. And it's, I used to have this movie on VHS because it was always one of my favorites. And I can watch it over and over again. It's kind of like Groundhog Day. You know, it's the same movie every time you watch it, but it's always fun. And that's what I love about it. it it's also from the era that PG-13 would really fuck you up as a kid. <laughs> this is... <laughs> yeah. 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 Good point. Okay. Corey, what are your thoughts on this movie? Well, it was cool. Cause this was one of those movies. That's kind of like a Shawshank. You know, if you're an eighties baby, you caught this movie at some point, or you may have not caught this one, but you caught something bill did, or it, you got led to it some way, shape or form, you know, like your friend knew about it or you were at the video store and you're just were like, what the heck's that bill Murray? Okay. I'll check it out. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what make this movie overall, like really great. You just, it, it found its way to you. And that's kind of how I remember it, you know? And I remember watching it and I was actually a little more when the first time I remember watching, it, I remember being a little more like shook. I was like, well, <laughs> that wasn't like as funny as I thought. I mean, there was some funny stuff, but I was there was also some funny. dark stuff in there. Yeah. And there was and oh, like, yeah. especially, you know, just some of the stuff you see, you're like, whoa, man. OK. And then the second time I watched it, you know, earlier this week. I was dying. I was laughing the <laughs> whole way through it. And it was like a completely new change of perspective too. It was, mm -hmm. it, and I think also the eighties in that era of make it, take it, it's yours. You deserve it. Like it, you know, mm. when you really go think about Scrooge that, I mean, that's, that's what he is. It's mine. I can get it. I'm going to take it, not worry about anybody else's. And the eighties, yeah, that's, that's the patriarchy in the eighties. Yeah, in the eighties, <laughs> in like in the eighties, you think of anything that was big and successful. It was like you went out there and it was a gamble. You took it, you owned it, and it was like that made you awesome and great. And I don't, again, like you couldn't do that in twenty twenty. And it's not even anything to do with the times are changed or any of that. It's just kind of that general error like was defined like in that movie and you could really get a really Scrooge type person. You go, yeah, yep. Nope. That makes yeah, that's sense. There's like a screwball quality to the humor that I think that was just really rampant in the eighties. And, and, and you just wouldn't get that now. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. Like uh, you, it, that and the overall just persona of the person. I don't think you could find that anywhere else in that kind of era yeah yeah society back in the 80s looked on things a little differently than we do here in 2020 because we're uh quote unquote so evolved these days um but uh yeah it's like like i said the patriarchy and uh bill murray in the beginning of this movie is such a bastard he is oh, yeah yeah, he's, I mean, he's he hilarious is, as a bastard. He is. And it's, he it's, he is a bastard. He's so despicable, but he plays it with that that Bill Murray flair. You know, he pulls it off. It's like, God, I hate you, but I love you. And, 
he does the good job of making the insult while being that character the larger than life persona that you we kind of always remember that bully or that jackass mm-hmm. being. And so it becomes funny because you're like, yep, that's exactly how I remember that dick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what makes it funny. You don't just go, oh man, I ran across that guy Tuesday. You know, that yeah. that that's what separates it. It's like, you're an asshole. Well, at least I'm good at what I do. Ow. On a broader scale, <laughs> on a broader scale, name another movie similar to this movie, like a a, a holiday based uh, one that, that that is that is anywhere even close to this movie. Groundhog. Oh Day. well, well he said <laughs> holiday based, so that narrows it down to Die Hard and pretty much nothing else, right? So Die Hard and Scrooge. I like that group. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good <laughs> it is actually. Uh, what's wow. the movie? What's uh? Uh, yeah i mean i guess it's more i guess a good question would be is there any kind of like in the past 20 years any kind of good holiday movies that stand out even just amongst the holiday movies at this point i don't know i feel like but it stands out nowadays they try and make them so like vanilla and like we got to appear appeal to like every age group in the family for a christmas movie viewing or something like that's fine i guess but they don't put out anything as like edgy as this maybe or as like it has like these kind of like dark patches you know where it descends into like black humor sometimes maybe i can't i can't think of an example i mean maybe the closest where that's concerned might be like the night before christmas even that's a totally different kind of movie but it does have some like darker humor in that okay this is gonna go a little off not really off topic, but a little off the, the track. Have any of you guys heard of the movie Fat Man? Fat Man? Fat Man. I don't It's think. a new movie that just came out in 2020, and it's got Mel Gibson. It's got Walter Goggins uh, and a guy, a kid who plays a 12-year-old, Chance Hurstfield. And it's basically <laughs> Mel Gibson plays. I'll read from IMDb. Actually, I guess it's from Google. Uh, to save his declining business, Chris Kringle, also known as Santa Claus, played by Mel Gibson, is forced into a partnership with the U.S. military. Making matters worse, Chris gets locked into a deadly battle of wits against a highly skilled assassin hired by a precocious 12 year old after receiving a lump of coal in his stocking. And I have not watched this movie, but I've watched the trailer and I've heard a lot of people talk about it. And it sounds like it could be possibly the best Christmas movie of 2020. If not one of the top two of like the only two movies that have come out in 2020. Are you sure they didn't title it? Uh, the night the reindeer died. <laughs> yeah. That was called. Like, oh, what a just what a perfect little like, segue right back into. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Perfect. perfect. Awesome. Well, that I mean, that sounds like it's worth a watch for sure. Yeah, the I, only I, other... I already pulled up pictures. I'm, I know exactly. Yeah, it's, it's Fat Man. Smells, it's it's like Batman with an F. It's one word, Fat Man. It okay. might be worth a watch. We might need to check it out. It might but be worth a watch. So, as far right. as the Christmas movies of the past decade or two, 
I don't really remember any. I mean, there's Krampus. That's bad, a horror bad movie. Santa. Yeah, Bad Santa is probably the only one. Bad the Santa comes to mind. Yeah. yeah, there hasn't been really anything good for a couple decades, and I think uh, Scrooge is a classic. You know, it's right up there with Christmas Story. I I think it's yeah. Well, it's like originality and. The fact that it's so different from everything else really is part of what makes it such a classic. And, you know, the rest of it is just the strength of the, you know, the the story and the jokes and Bill Murray's performance, and like all that stuff. Yeah. But um, I, I think we're itching to move on to spoilers. So let you know, I would say that, like, if you like a good comedy, if you like Bill Murray, if you like Christmas movies, check this out. It's it's if you haven't seen it already, it's going to be up your alley. So, Clay, how many gleefully antagonistic ghosts out of 10 would you give this movie scrooged i would probably give it a good seven and a half okay ghosts yeah it's it's it definitely holds that spot in my heart from my childhood uh bill murray definitely had not done a role where he was the 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 only guy in front of the camera and i think that shows a little bit in certain places of the movie but overall overall there's just it just the sheer awe of this movie make it something you can't miss. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jess, how do you rate this one out of 10? I'm going to go, I'm going to go a little higher. I'm going to go with an 8.5 because this was a movie that uh, I fell in love with the very first time I watched it. It was so original. And by that time I had heard, you know, the original story behind uh, the movie and, you know, seeing as this was a remake of it, it was so fun and I always loved it. And I own this movie on VHS and I had it for years. So I'm going to go an 8.5 just because I have watched it a million times. And the last time I watched it was today and I still had just as much fun. It's like watching it over and over again doesn't lessen it any. It's still a fun movie and the parts where it wants to pull at your heartstrings still does. I just think it's a well-done movie overall. So I'm going 8.5. Okay, right on. Corey, what's your rating on this? Well, geez, I feel like I'm just kind of trying to keep the trend going here. But I was already going to give it a 9 out of 10. Ooh, okay. Perfect. <laughs> well, you know, Clay's over here is like, it's a can't miss 7.5. I was like, Jesus Christ, dude. Like, if it's a can't miss, you're only throwing a 7 at it? Like, now I feel like I'm, I'm really over overshooting my 9 here. Uh, how many, how many you times want, have you watched this movie, Corey? I have seen this movie probably, like, 10 to 12 times. Okay. This was so the you're latest a fan. Time. Yeah, I, I like the movie, but this was the latest that I've watched it in a really, really long time. And it was definitely at my my age range now. It just it the, the movie itself just had a whole different perspective. And mm-hmm. I was still laughing and I just like Bill's one-liners in mid-conversation to the ghost as he's talking, you know. I, I was like, oh God, he's so good at it. It uh, you know, and I was like, Yep, I'm crushing. That's yeah. a good movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it truly is a classic, and it, it like I said, it doesn't get old for me. So, uh, what do you got, Will? What numbers you spend? I uh, I'm gonna have to give it a seven point seven five. 
Seven I, I'm having a lot of trouble deciding between a seven and a half and an eight. Not a seven point seven six. You sure you can't give it just <laughs> that pretty, little bit more? I'm pretty sure. Uh, no, I be, I agree with what Clay was saying in that like there are some moments when you know it, you can tell that that Bill Murray's not quite at his strongest because he hadn't like carried an entire movie yet in his career. Okay. Uh, but and there you know I have a couple other quibbles with it. You know, there's just a couple things that we'll get to in a moment. But overall, I really, really do like this movie. I, I, you know, I wonder, I might rate it a little bit higher, but I have to, I have to police my own nostalgia sometimes and say, mm-hmm. is it just nostalgia that makes me want to give it, you know, like an eight? Yeah, I have that problem so, too. I like that phrase. Police your nostalgia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's my true, final answer. There are, there, there are movies that I've seen that it's like, it seems like movies that I grew up with, I give a higher score today, even looking at them as a 42-year-old watching a movie that I first saw as an 11-year-old. I still ah, get all happy and stupid about it, so I kind of might give it a higher score. And this might be one of those movies, but I don't care because I <laughs> loved it the first time, I loved it the next 40 times, and I loved it the last time. I think it should yeah, be. like that just solidifies the the truth and the score. Then you know, like if yeah. you're if you're watching it again and again, and you know, fifteen years go by, and all of a sudden you throw it on and you go, yeah, yeah this movie's still awesome. I yeah, I just you know, yeah, we're, okay, fine, fine, seven point seven six. You win, you win. <laughs> okay, so we are going to move on to the spoiler section of this podcast. So if you hide have your not, kids, hide your wife. It, what he said. If you have not seen this movie yet, for some somehow god if that's somehow the case pause this podcast go watch it and come back and listen to the rest okay so uh i do have some fun facts uh about this movie really quick uh which you guys may uh may be aware of some of this so bill murray's brothers were actually in this movie oh, whoa, 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 whoa. bill murray's in this movie <laughs> yeah so he, he, one of his brothers plays his younger brother so that's his actual brother in real life yeah it's his brother in real life i did not know that uh yeah and then his other brother plays his father in the past wow and the third brother was was the other guy at the party at the christmas party with his brother that he wasn't at yes yes exactly so and i did not know until today that those guys were his brothers well (laughs) i i i knew that will was going to do some research on this and i saw on twitter uh, that Clay was going to do some research on this. So I decided I'm going to watch the movie and I'm not doing any research. I'm just going on it from what I know from watching it 45 <laughs> yeah, times. I can tell you and I, we're the same. <laughs> Got the same approach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I did. I had, I didn't even know Bill Murray had brothers, much less two brothers. I have two brothers. Three brothers. Three brothers. Oh, oh there it is. John Murray plays James. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. And so and I guess there was also some like creative differences uh, making the, sh- the shoot kind of difficult between Richard Donner, who directed it and mm-hmm. uh, and Bill Murray. And and speaking of that type of conflicts, so it was written by uh, Michael O'Donohue and Mitch Glazer and Michael O'Donohue, like never let go of the fact that like they changed so much stuff from their script 
in the filming of it and in the editing of it. And he says, and I'm reading from uh, Wikipedia here, he estimated that only 40% of his and Glazier's original script made it in the final film and uh, said the surviving content uh, was twisted. And I think uh, I'd have to find the quote, but I think later he said it was like a piece of shit or something like that. Wow. Like till the day he died, he'd never let go of the fact that like his script was like super hilarious and the movie was a big disappointment to him. Kind of makes me curious to like read the original script, but like I Stephen King with uh, that one movie the shining. That's the one. Well, yep. Yeah. Right. Right. He, yeah. He hated the, the well, shining movie. Let me add to your trivia just a hair since you know the trivia one. Please, please. So what does this movie have in common with The Omen, Superman, 1 and 2, Lethal Weapon 1 through 4? Uh, what else is there? M- Maverick. What does it have in common with all those movies? Carol Kane. Uh, well, actually, possibly true, but also the same director because <laughs> he. Oh, was- <laughs> oh and, yeah. And part and part at. at having seen all of those ones I just listed off is more uh, why my score wasn't higher for this movie. Oh, because you've seen what else Richard Donner can do. Yeah. I'm like, you, you're the dude that did the Omen. You're the dude that did the, the, the good Supermans. Uh, you're the one that did all the lethal weapons, but then there were just parts of this. that was like, are we, are we phoning this in or was it, was it because I, I think Donner and Murray had some, creative issues as well i think i read that somewhere i could be wrong but i mean it, it may have yeah yeah you know hurt the overall look of it too but but you you missed mentioning donner's best movie timeline from 2003 okay. well i skipped that was that. a joke that was a joke <laughs> based on a michael Crichton book was not a great adaptation all right i have a question uh will you might have dabbled a bit in the realm of directing Maybe. um possibly how much of a fault can be applied to a director if the movie's written by someone else who writes it poorly? The director is the person who takes like all the credit and all the blame, even though there's like a thousand people that work on a movie. Okay. So if you have a really awesome director and a really shitty writer, and the director takes shitty writing and turns it into a mediocre movie. Should the director get shit for making a mediocre movie? How's that? No, work? they should be praised because it's really hard to take a script that's shit and turn it into something that's not shit. So if that could ever possibly happen, then the director deserves all the credit in the world. Um, so in the movies, Clay, you just mentioned, obviously you have a lot of different writers. True. So how do how how can you judge a director on the source material? Well, I'm thinking more of the way the movie was directed, like how it looks, not necessarily the plot lines, because the plot line is movie. I mean, the guys that wrote this movie didn't make it up. I mean, it's written for them already pretty but You know, they're based it off the Scrooge, you know, yeah, they already. It. So it's yeah. not like it's it's something that's fresh out of folks heads or anything. But no, I get that. I'm, I'm just saying like. For this movie and Omen, you're going to come writing from a writing angle from two completely different angles. So uh, as a director, you know, so. Well, Bill Murray also, speaking of trivia, Bill Murray also had a hand in uh, making some changes to the script. And then especially with an actor like him where he's, you know, also comedian and 
he's got some star power. Uh, I think they paid him like $6 million to be in this movie, which is pretty big payday for like $35 million. I mean, it's all right. I mean, I've never actually been paid $6 million for a goddamn thing. I I mean, (laughs) I think I read somewhere that it was his 6 million was more than the director and the rest of the cast combined. Yeah. 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 But I mean, it's like, he was, you know, when somebody is that important to the production, like, you know, they'll do things for you, including make changes to the script, especially when you're the star. And also, like, I I feel conf- – I don't know, like, which lines this would be the case for, but I feel confident that, like, uh, there were moments when he just made stuff up and, like, on the fly, right? Because that's mm-hmm. – you know, there's so many of the, like, his, like, one-liners and stuff is so Bill Murray. Well, you know, that's the thing, like- too, coming from Saturday Night Live – there's a lot of improv there. So you got to, you know, really react. Cause a lot of times, you know, your uh, coworkers are going to forget their lines and stuff. And you just kind of got to make it up as you go. So I think that's kind of cool being an actor with a improv background. You can really just. Well, that's, that's how they film a lot of, that's how they film a lot of comedies. Uh, You know, is that there's a lot of improvisation that they'll go through, not not even just sort of like accidentally or once in a while, but it's actively a a big part of the process of filming the scenes, because that's just how you get really good comedies with, you know, really good comedians. But let's let's take this opportunity to talk about Bill Murray, shall we? And Scrooge. Let's let's talk about William. He had, I mean, again, and I don't know which one lines, you know, were written by the other guys and which he came up with. But like when he would say stuff like like when he was in uh, the elevator with death and he thought uh, the third ghost and he thought for a minute, you know, that it was actually the guy in the costume again. And he like yeah. opened up his robes and it's like the like the souls <laughs> in hell or whatever. First of all, that was funny. But then he like closes it. And then he like looks again. He's like, our people did that, (laughs) you know, like I can't do it the way he can, but he just makes like just those little moments. So hilarious. No, well, like, yeah, when they're looking in on, you know, in the past and he tells the taxi driver, he's like, look, turn around. There's a tall building over there. There's a giant ape climbing it. You know, like it's just he pulls (laughs) he pulls pop culture and things that everybody knows and he just strings them in a way that the joke hits, you know, and, and, and you know what it is. And you're like, yep. All right. I got him. Yeah. Like, why would you be looking at her when there's a giant ape over there? It's also like a fun way to tell someone to stop stalking, you know, kind of, it's great. Like, I just, you're right. The way, the way he throws, and I wonder how many times they just were like, okay, here's the camera. You guys just keep going at it. And yeah, I mean, let let it go and just let it go. I wonder, I wonder how many times, that happened where he comes through a scene and then he just basically does a full circle and walks right back in the door and and they just keep it going. I would be fun to see outtakes of this movie. Oh, it would. I wonder if there's anything like that on the disc, but I don't know. I think back in like back in the fifties and the forties, fifties and sixties, when they were filming movies, there were no outtakes. You know, if you fucked up or you tripped and slipped, they would cut that out. But I think, in you know the 80s 70s 80s that's when they started that's when saturday night live was around and you get the comedic actors with their improv and that's when you would get a lot more of the comedy uh genre really gaining a lot of steam because of those actors and like the scene where he's in the restaurant bill murray's in the restaurant and he walks out and like slips and falls in the doorway 
that was not scripted. You know, <laughs> he, slipped and, he slipped and fell and played it off and just kept the, the kept the thing going. I think, you know, in the decades before, that's something that would be scrubbed and uh, reshot. But, you know, from the 80s, 70s, 80s on, we got, you know, the the what what do you call them the the screw ups uh sometimes yeah the bloopers actually become part of the movie well and, in a comedy you know you might as well if it doesn't like break you know doesn't oh break yeah the character. because uh, i think the comedians too they have such a an ability to do that i mean obviously if you're like a shakespearean actor and you fall over that might be a bad thing but if you're bill murray you know, and you slip and fall. Hey, pull it off and carry on. Yeah. So next question's for Clay, which is that like, so where do you think Bill Murray really shines in this? And then you did mention, you know, you felt like you could tell in a couple places where, you know, this is obviously an actor who hasn't like carried a whole movie before. Like where, where do you see those as well? And in, in addition to where he shines. He shines when he's, when he's playing off of somebody consistently hit the, the scenes with Carol Kane with the ghost of Christmas present oh, were the best. <laughs> the, that is the best part of the entire movie that with her <laughs> and the fact that she is so quirky and mm-hmm. weird and however you want to put it, that those are his best moments. I think uh, the very, uh, some of the stuff at the very beginning when he's trying to be a dick, uh, I kind of, I, I almost, it was almost unbelievable to me because you know who he is and you know what he can do. And I'm like, okay, I know you're mm-hmm. playing, I know you're playing a character, but I'm having a hard time like getting into your character. Cause I, I know that's it's, it almost, like, it almost felt like he had that sarcasm, that sarcasm behind what he said. That was right. kind of a joke, you know? So he still kind of tried to deliver it as a joke instead of true asshole. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> huh. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I could see that. Uh, real quick about Carol Kane, though. I read that, um, you know, those scenes she did with Bill Murray where she's like hitting him in the face with a toaster and pulling his lip and slapping him and kicking him in the nuts and all that stuff. I guess <laughs> all she true. had a really hard time with that and would be like over in the corner crying because she didn't like, you know, to be performing all of this violence. And, you know, she was really trying to not to hurt him. Really? But I I guess even uh, in one take when she was like pulling his lip, like she pulled it a little too hard and he was like bleeding on the inside of his, his lip or whatever. Oh, she tore that piece of skin that holds your lip to your gums. Oh, probably. No. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like a paper cut on your, in between your fingers. That's terrible. So, but I, but I do want to give her a shout out because she makes me laugh in that movie. Like I laugh more probably in that scene more. Oh yeah. She's me. my favorite yeah. ghost for sure. Yeah. Look at this. It's a, toaster <laughs> that was uh i always cracked me up so okay sorry clay i just wanted to uh get that off my chest <clears throat> and no, no, you were that's, saying that's it yeah her, his his ensemble when he has somebody to play off of for a long scene a, a, any long chunk like that i mean the scenes with yeah. the ghost of christmas past were also good but david johansson's i don't know if he's he's not a comedian right no, so, he's a musician yeah he's a musician so he you know it's it's not as easy for bill to play off of him as as it was for him to play off you could tell he was in his element with carol king okay so i have a question um so you say bill murray shine or shown when he was playing off of someone what scenes in specifically would you say you could tell 
that he wasn't performing at his at his peak. The the opening scene, the opening scene with the uh, the people in the uh, in his office watching the watching the, all that stuff in that first scene was awkward enough was awkward enough for me to be like to take me out of it a little bit. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And like when he fires uh, Bobcat Goldthwait's character as well, like that. That whole. Uh, to a certain extent, but boy, does it lead to but it but it leads to him having like the the gunfight in his office with him and with Bobcat <laughs> Goldthwait, and and that's, oh, yeah, that's and great. that was also like magic. Like when he finally gets up to him and they're and they're right in each other's face doing the comedy. That is where once again it was a great scene. So. See, yeah, that, I got That's like what I was saying earlier. It's like I loved this movie from a young age when it came out, and every time I watch it, it's like maybe I don't see what you're seeing because in the very opening scenes of the movie, I'm like, okay, this is Scrooge. We're getting into Scrooge territory, and it's a great movie, and we're gonna go there. So maybe I'm getting into the mood to watch the movie and not really paying too much attention as a critic. Possibly. So maybe that's why I'm missing what's happening in the first scenes, but. Well, Hey, if it works for you, then it works for you. you know? No, I, I, I just, I just want to understand the angles we're all coming from. Well, yeah, yeah. this is, this is where I, question how clay and i are friends because our comedy differs <laughs> a lot like he'll send me stuff and i go i don't th- i'm dead dude this isn't funny to me but the whole opening scene i find hilarious and right the great over exaggerated asshole like ceo i'm like that it's beautiful yeah, it's perfect yeah See, and that's, yeah, what, that's what's great about, <laughs> that's what's great about you two guys because you're a lot like us two dads uh, we agree on a majority of shit, but every once in a while, it's like mm. I I see something from one angle, and Will sees something from a different angle, and we're like, hmm. What was the and then we, we had where you rated something low and I rated it high? Oh, Recently, what was it? Uh, oh, shit, was it? Oh, sorry. It, hmm? Well, there was the uh, the one with the girl that went the Babadook. For yeah, but, but we 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 pulled well, you around. It no, you you guys awesome. changed my mind through talking about. There's uh, Bill and Ted's second. It was one. Bill and Ted's bogus journey. That's yeah. the one where, where we differed. So yeah, we had a rift as well. But uh, but yeah, like speaking of these other uh, characters, though, like first of all, Bobcat Goldthwait. I I hadn't seen him in forever, and he is so he is so perfect for that role. You know, I love how he's so he like he's like twitchy, but charming. And like you really feel for the guy because, you know, he's having the worst couple of days around Christmas ever. <laughs> and every time he tries to have a drink, somebody's yeah. got to smash it or take it from him or whatever. And he just like because they almost cast him actually as the um, ghost of Christmas past before they found Johansson. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah, and so uh, so then they made him. Uh, See, that's know. that's the thing about Bobcat. I don't really understand because growing up, you know, I was born in '78, so I grew up in the '80s and and '90s, and everything I know about Bobcat Goldthwait is his uh, his his delivery, and it's it's really weird. You know, he's got that approach to it, and then. If you look up Bobcat Goldthwait today, he talks like a normal guy. 
So I don't know if his voice in that time period was something he was affecting or if it was something he worked through, but he did that voice in every movie. Oh yeah. And all his up too. Yeah. He was in that. He was in a standup. He was in the police Academy. He did the same thing. And then you talk, you see an interview with him today and he's like, yes, I was uh, talking about <laughs> stuff with my friend. And it's like, wait, are you the same dude? So I don't know. Got that nice regional news director dialogue. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> Tonight at 7 p.m. Um, That's a far cry from uh, that. That was his, his window. Yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah. and that was such, that was the reason I loved him at the time when I was young, because he was such a weird character and stuff. And he brought that into this movie. And like I said, I don't know if it was something he did on purpose or if it was whatever. But I love him as a character actor, and I always have. And he he just plays the part great in this movie because it's like he's got that weird manic accent. And then when uh, Bill Murray, you know, he goes through his arc and changes from the bad guy to realizing. Uh, I love everyone. That's when Bobcat starts getting confused. So you hear that that voice, but it's 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 confused. You know, it's almost like a, a Christopher Walken mixed with I don't know what it's it like is. Like he's he he takes this like you know I, I don't know to your point whether he had some kind of minor speech impediment that he's worked through or whether he was affecting it, but like even though. He had that sort of strange like instability or twitchiness or whatever you want to call it to his voice. He made that work to great effect in this yeah, role. Did. You know? um, and it was perfect because he can play that angrily. He can play it happily and he can play it confused. And he did that perfectly, you know, in counterpart to Bill Murray's, you know, character arc in this movie. And I thought he was one of my favorite actors in this film because the the chemistry they have with each other, you know, they kind of grow together. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and that brings us to Karen Allen. Karen who, Allen. Oh, so many movies from Dude, that's that's what I was gonna say. I've had a crush on her since Ghostbusters. Was it Ghostbusters? She was Ghostbusters, right? Was Indiana she Indiana Jones? Indiana Jones. Marion Blackwood, man. Yeah. So, but anyway, um, so, she, and she was, of course, you know, we, part we of should the, spend an hour talking about when we fell in love with Karen Allen. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, so also one of the things that Bill Murray did, according to what I read about this movie, is that he insisted on expanding the love story subplot a bit. Uh, and so, First, Clay and then Corey, I want to hear from you guys about what your thoughts are on this sort of love story subplot. And, you know, did it work well for you? Were you not buying it? Obviously, Karen Allen is wonderful and great and fantastic and lovely. But what what did you think about that first clay? Well, from what I what I read as well, um, those the, the that part in the family stuff is what he made a lot of the changes to. And I'm trying to picture the movie without that subplot of his relationship with her and. Mm -hmm. uh, his watching over the uh, his assistant's family, like both the things that he apparently added to the script when they did the rewrites and stuff are what 
really brings the movie together, I think, in the first place. And, and Carol Kane and his scenes were always fantastic. And honestly, I want to kick this to Corey because I want Corey to talk about the uh, what was the name of the dog he was playing uh, when he was first starting out in the past scene. Frisbee. Yes, Corey. Because we were watching it because hey, I, I had Corey come over and social distance on my giant couch and sit on the other end and uh, <laughs> and watch this. And, and and there's a part in that that just between the two of them that he almost fell off the couch laughing. So I'm going to kick it to you, Corey. Okay. Let you talk about that. Well, <laughs> dude, it's just the fact that like he gets into it, right? Like, so I what I like about all the scenes with her, one it's a little weird that the romance like just gets happens from a phone call with 15 years of separation. Like, I feel like that timeline should have been like, just if they would have said five, I think anytime you watch the movie, you would have been like, Oh, okay. But I guess they were really trying to paint like a love lost picture with that. So that's like my one knock on the whole kind of romance piece with it, which is like 15 years. You don't even know that person anymore. They're not the same. Right. If you, especially if you haven't spoke to them, but when he is doing every scene with her, I love how they kind of take the camera and it's really focused on them. And when it's focused on them, you're watching Bill's character evolve and change into a nicer person. And then when usually it pans out to a third party kind of point of view, they do a nice almost like fade where it seems like time is draining away in, in the scenes and you see Bill going back to like his fail safes of being an asshole mm-hmm. and what got him where he is and what he is. But yeah, it's kind of really at that point, you know, if you're that hard of a Scrooge, ah. what's going to break, what, what's going to break that, that shell love. Yeah. So you, mm-hmm. you have to have the love story. And when you get the scenes with the family, that is another good way because that, that dynamic in the movie, you could tell even when he was the asshole, she was the one person that could kind of snap back at him a little bit and be like, are you kidding me? And he would go, okay, I got enough respect for you. So to see that even in, even in his meanest of moods, he had a little amount of respect for her when he's changing, seeing that it really like hammers at home of like, man, how badly have I been treating people then when I didn't respect them at all? Yeah, and I, I I like those interactions within the movie. You know, outside of it being a weird time gap, you know, I I thought they were shot great. And did you feel like at the end, you know, when uh, you know, he's uh, giving his like speech there at the end to, uh, to the camera and his boss freaking out, and you know, and then she shows up and all that. Did that work for you? The whole uh, how it like sort of came together at the end with them. Yeah, I think it was just kind of. Uh, I think if you accepted the zaniness of the movie. It just made more sense for it all to be right there as he's kind of losing his mind and having this massive, Oh my come to Jesus moment, you know, and I'm, I need to better myself and I'm going to shout it to the world. It's, it's cool to see that the, the people that he really loved, in the movie are there at the end, you know, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. I just don't know how you could have like had her in that movie. Also kind of given her name and then her not be there at the end. Oh, definitely agree. I, there was something about it though, at the end when she, when she shows up and it's like, suddenly's like all's forgiven. She's kissing him. 
like I I felt like it it didn't quite rest well with me because there's something like what has he shown her throughout this movie that's like oh I want to get back together with you after 15 years and kiss you on live TV and not be angry with you. So there's a part of me that was like, ah, I wish there would have been like one other scene or one other moment where he gets to like redeem himself with her. But I guess that really is coming from the fact that he's having a breakdown on live television and, you know, proclaiming to the world that he loves her and apologizing. I, I guess well, that I think, would be enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think it's a little bit of a love conquers all kind of, you know? Yeah, I've, I've uh, just thrown into a cynical old dried husk of a soulless. <laughs> okay well if you want to hear from a cynical old dried husk i think it's my turn <laughs> okay uh for starters um for listeners and uh for Corey and clay who don't really know the uh story behind will and i uh we went to school together uh years and years ago i went to school in one school system and then transferred to a new school. You're making it sound like it was during the fifties or something. Yeah, it was I'll continue. You know, I, I rode I rode my uh my carriage with <laughs> with mules. And uh no, but I, I grew up in a school system and I moved I transferred between schools a couple times and during that time I met Will and a bunch of other friends and then I moved away. And with the exception of uh, Will, I mean, you and I have been the most in touch over the last 20 years, but it hasn't been a full 20 years. We've gone, I mean, how many years would you say? We've, what do you like, mean? Like we had a, we had a gap. Online or whatever? We had a we gap. Pro- you probably had a gap between like, what? Uh, when did you leave high school for a different high school? Uh, junior year junior so from like 1995 until about like 2005 it was about 10 years hey, two, eh, 2000 ish yeah 2005 ish probably but, yeah but my point is you and i were friends prior and then it's not like we had to reintroduce ourselves and be like hi my name is jazz hi my name's will oh i like comic books i like comic books too you know we were just like we just picked up from the day we left off. And since I bounced around from schools and stuff, mm. I've had that happen a lot with friends. And I've also had that happen with uh, people I was dating through the years. It's like, Hey, I haven't talked to you for seven years. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? And then boom, it's like a day hasn't been missed. So I don't think it's too much of a stretch of the imagination to assume that someone who really has a connection uh, like in this movie to fall back in love or to, to find that connection again. And yeah, I don't think that's unrealistic either, but there's just something about how it was constructed in this movie. I felt like there was like a step missing in the rekindling. of well, it's, it's the eighties. And I mean, this isn't a real Deep, it's the 80s that's the this isn't a real deep written story that's you know it's like 
I mean, it's a it's a complete story. It's cyclical and it has all the elements in it. But it's not like it goes into well for these two years I was on meth and then my ex husband and I hooked back. You know, you don't have to worry about all that shit. You just pick up where you left off, and it's possible. You and I are proof of that. So I think it's possible because I've done it also in a romantic relationship. So, especially because okay, but I'm not kissing you on live TV. All right, I will. <laughs> no, no, that's 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 the points well made. Um, I don't know. Uh, where do you, where do you fall on this, Clay? Um, on the the controversy of the love story. Well, let's let's just say all we saw was the last. He had to rant it. He had to rant all that stuff at the end just because of what the movie was. I'd like to know. Okay, well, first off they both didn't ever move on because she didn't ever marry That's anybody. True. He didn't either. And he was focused. Oh, on it's because she's ugly. <laughs> Clear, yeah, clearly. clearly. <laughs> and so, you know, when they, and he was blatantly in love with her when they first met. And, and what I was trying to get Corey to talk about was when he was in the break in the doggy uh, outfit and talking to her and like, I, what was it, Corey? He, she like came around the corner and what did she say to him? And he was like, "Uh." They like made yeah. a dog noise and just like it, it hit back to his comedic timing. That was just amazing. But it was him showing how much he was all about her, at, yeah. you know, at that time. So I, yeah. That being said, you know, this is one of those like, how do the you know how do the movies or how do the you know stories end whenever they say you know they lived happily ever after but really did they so we don't know what happened like the next week so it, you know it could have been rocky for a while after that you know after the you know breakdown on television okay you guys have convinced me <laughs> <laughs> i give it a, i give it an 11 out of 12 yeah so yeah but i i i think that she was really a, a great choice uh for the character to to cast there so i want to talk about the ghosts the ghost oh, of Christmas past, present, and future. And we already, you know, said okay, just a couple. Before we get into the ghosts, the his his boss, the their very first supernatural being we encounter. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. That wasn't one of the ghosts. Well, that I mean, was, he was a ghost, but he, he was a ghost, a ghost but not the ghost of Christmas past, present, or future. Who was that guy? The actor or the character? Both. I want to. I like. I said. I haven't done any research on this, so I want to. Uh, it was uh, John Forsyth, and the character's name was Lou Hay- Hayward, and he oh, was right. his old boss. He was the old boss of the IBC, yeah. and he was in some of the uh, the past, like the the Christmas party in the past and stuff. Right. No, I, I get that, but I was wondering if the fact that he was a golfer, do you think that was a callback to uh, Bill Murray's role? In Caddyshack? Oh, I mean, I took it as just like that's what business executives do. (laughs) (laughs) It's so so weird to think that in 1988, they're doing a callback to 1980, what was it, 84, 85? You know, were they doing callbacks back then? Huh? You don't think it was a reference to Bill Murray's character? Probably not. I mean, maybe, you know, it could be. I mean, I, I guess back in the 80s, every uh, CEO is a golfer. That's kind of the. Bill, probably. I mean, that's how they like hobnob and, yeah. and stuff. 
but I don't know. Maybe. Uh, he did make quite an entrance, smashing down the door and everything, and mm-hmm. got, uh, got him all shook up. All oh, shook Meryl. up. That's Meryl's, that's Meryl's ghost. <laughs> Meryl. Meryl's oh, ghost. Okay. Oh. Uh, yeah, in the, in the Christmas Carol, that's Scrooge's business partner. That's basically who he f- kind of learned everything from and then fucked over and okay. died. Right, right. Uh, I think Marley is his name in the original. Yeah, Marley, um, Merrill, yeah, something like yeah. I mean, he was he was fun. He kind of he set everything up the way that that Marley does, and told him that he should expect to see the you know the first ghost around noon. And uh, I love how he's at that dinner, his boss and the guy who's been brought on to like I don't know sabotage him or like start taking over his job or something. And uh, noon hits right when that guy comes in. So at first, Bill Murray's character thinks that it's him uh frank thinks that it's him right and that's why he does that like laugh at him when it gets real awkward and they both look at him like what i'll just keep talking even though that was weird and he has the whole thing so here so the thing about this moment in the restaurant though is that it shows that even though this guy is like a real dick uh frank cross that like he's still like We'll throw water on a burning man to save him, even though even if he's just hallucinating, you know. So that was like where it was demonstrating for me, I think, the first time that, you know, we see that there is something redeemable inside this guy. Um, do you agree? Clay? <laughs> oh, is that to me? Well, sure. Why not? <laughs> first off, uh, in case anybody doesn't doesn't know that this movie was uh, nominated for an Oscar in 89 for Best Makeup. And yeah, but Beetlejuice won, right? Say again. Beetlejuice Sorry. won, yes. They lost yeah. to Beetlejuice. You are correct. Uh, but going back to the boss, that I mean, the makeup and even the, eff- the the effects in this movie held up really well, too, by the way. Oh, yeah. But yeah, his, his, uh, his, you know, the, the guy on fire, I'm not sure if it was more redeemable quality as the fact that he was. He would. I don't think he had clicked that nobody else was seeing what was happening. Like he would. He was just like, I'm in. A, I'm in a room full of other assholes like me, and everybody's gonna watch this guy just, uh, you know, burn to death. So I'm gonna give it a yeah. shot. Yeah, he, he was so funny in like each encounter with the ghost. Actually, the thing that I think made me laugh the most in his encounter with his old boss was when he picked him up by the neck and put him out and put him out the window like he was gonna drop him. And his his retort was, "Please don't. They'll think that I jumped." Right. <laughs> Right. No, please don't ask me thing to say. in a way that makes you know me look bad. <laughs> well, I loved that scene because you know they they did the 1988 uh, CGI version where he pushed him through the glass and yeah. it's just him outside the window, you know, with the the neck holding or the the hand holding him by the neck, and that was also one of the the parts I liked about the movie was the fact that it was almost like hallucinations that Bill Murray's character was having because he, you know, he was fighting and clawing at the hand and then he fell to his death. And then suddenly, boom, he lands in his office chair back in his office. And I thought that was a really cool, you know, transition transition really well. I think. Yeah. And I thought that was, it was a cool way to, to show how he, was being manipulated by the ghosts and how he really couldn't trust his own mind at the time. And that's another, that's well, like how they the, had power over him too. Yeah. And that's one of the deeper levels of this movie in that, you know, he couldn't trust his own eyes. 
and it really played out throughout the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when he finally, you know, gets out and gets in the cab, I, I always love the ghost of Christmas past in this movie. Johansson, he is so, and like, even me and my friends, like growing up, like anytime it was something about somebody crying, we'd always be like Niagara falls, Frankie, (laughs) like he was so quotable growing up for some reason. And I like, I don't know what it is about that guy, but he just had the right, like New York flavor. And like, I don't know. Um, uh, uh, what were your impressions of the ghost of Christmas past, Corey? What did you like and, or maybe dislike about it? He's like the perfect intro ghost. Cause you kind of get, so you got this high rise CEO, you know, obviously he's Lincoln town car everywhere he goes, but he is so panicked that he's like taxi. And at that moment, he <laughs> totally snakes an old lady, gives her the yeah, finger right. as he's like telling the guy to drive off. And he's just like holding it to the window. And that right there, I was like, oh, great. You have gone pinnacle asshole right <laughs> when you're meeting this ghost. <laughs> and the ghost is the guy that everybody wishes a snooty person would run across. Oh, they're the guy that doesn't take shit from nobody. They'll tell you what it is and they're honest and they just, and there's no fear in them. And you're like, yeah, that's what that person needs. And the fact that he's just like talking to him and not looking where he's driving and just, you get, like you said, you get this New York flavor, but the right kind, like not the, Oh, I'm just go, 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 go kind of New Yorker, right? You get this guy that you know is nitty gritty. And if that dude walked into his neighborhood, he would be whooping that rich guy's ass for looking at him the wrong way. You're like, yes, that is is the life check you need as an introduction to these ghosts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, He was, you know, he was going to take no shit, like you said, and he was going to tell it like it is. And I I think that's, you know, that starts to define him. The thing I found hilarious is that when they're at the, the the show where he's he's you know the younger him is in the dog suit like mm-hmm. the guy the actor on stage is like what's the present can anybody tell me what it is and the kids are all shouting it's a bone and so is the the ghost of christmas past he's like it's a bone <laughs> like he was just as like you as know him. this already <laughs> i don't know it was it was hilarious um i guess um that so the guy uh was in a band and Ah, oh, crap. What's his name? The guy. Uh, so, um, Lee Majors, Pat McCormick, Robert Goulet, no, no, no. David, David, David Johansson. Yes. Yeah, but Johansson's band, uh, was called, let's see, the New York Dolls. The New York Dolls. Okay, thanks. So, one of his bandmates, uh, I guess, like, once he saw the movie and he saw how much screen time, uh, Johansson got in the movie. He got super pissed, beat his wife, and then jumped out a third story window trying to kill himself. Did he succeed? You got to go higher than that. It, it said, yeah, it said, <laughs> attempt, it said attempting suicide in what I read. So, but I mean, he was hilarious, but I have to say, I probably laughed the most during the scenes with uh, Carol Kane as the ghost of Christmas present. Oh, she was best. And another little thing of trivia is like like during uh, when they would be like rehearsing and getting the blocking down and stuff before they'd film the scenes. She was like doing like like fake little dance moves or whatever. And because they were originally going to have do shots with like an actual ballerina. 
of her doing some dances. But then they thought, no, look at her during rehearsal. She's hilarious. You gotta just use her. Uh, so that's what they did. And there's no ballerina uh, double, which is probably for the best. And yeah, she was, I mean, she was hilarious. What were you saying about her, Jess? Well, when that scene where, you know, he like has Bill Murray has his eyes closed and she's like on the other side of the, the room. And then you see that scene where she's flying across the room doing that running thing and punches him in the face. That is always a classic scene. And she is such a comedic and silly actor. And she was a perfect cast for that part. And I think, you know, she was favorite ghosts in the movie overall just because she was such a silly goose <laughs> a silly goose See, a silly the thing goose. that really jumps out to me that really strikes me about like all the ghosts so far well the 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 ghost of christmas past and the ghost of christmas present so far is that like they can both go toe-to-toe with frank cross in the i'm gonna be an asshole department right um, like she is right up there with him foiling his every attempt. And like, even to the point where when he finally like breaks down and threatens her, he's like, if you touch me again, I'm going to like rip your spine out or whatever he says. Well, that's, that's one of the things not, not to interrupt, but oh, sorry. Um, when I was watching the movie, like I said, I haven't watched the movie for like a decade, but I felt that the ghosts were treating him how he treats people. And he was so unused to being treated that way. That's that's what I took from the movie. He was being treated the way he treats other people, and he couldn't deal with it. So sorry for interrupting. And action. I hate you so much. You do not. <laughs> I was just you know how many times I hear that. <laughs> and roll scene. But I just, I just one of the things that I found so funny was when she, you know, she, she's continually able to like top what he's doing, or maybe not top him, but she's continually able to like match what he's doing. And so when he finally like threatens her, her comeback is, oh, you know, I like the. The, the rough stuff, Frank, and she gives him like, you know, this like flirty sort of look. And he, it's just like, it gives him the biggest headache. <laughs> and it throws him off. Cause he's not expecting that. He, he expects submission and weakness. And they're like, yeah, yeah. give me more. He's like, Oh God, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so what's your guys' uh, take on this uh, scene, Clay and Corey uh, with the ghost of Christmas present? Cause she is awesome. Or do you disagree? Oh, no, no. I mean, I've talked about her and I've, I've gushed about her enough. I, that, those are my favorite scenes of the entire movie uh, when it comes to her and her and Murray playing off each other. And, you know, everybody, if you didn't see Carol Kane first in this movie, you saw her in Princess Bride. So everybody loves her anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, so she's you know, been in so many things like she was most recently, I think, in the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. She's a regular character in that show. She's hilarious. Do you know, she, she played Superman in uh, Suicide Squad. <laughs> um but and you know her her whole like sequence there ends with a a really uh this is where the 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 film gets dark one of the places where it gets dark where frank finds himself like in the the gutter or something under the street and he sees uh herman the guy from the homeless shelter when he when he first uh went to go see uh claire right right 
And uh, first he's like, hey, Herman, blah, 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 blah. And he's sort of being like he's at a point where he's actually treating him a little nicer than he would have, you know, slightly. But then he's dead because he froze to death with a smile on his face, apparently. Um, Meth, you know, I mean, I wouldn't mind. I'm a little morbidly obese, slightly, slightly morbid. Leo B. So a little bit of meth might help a bit. So, you know, sometimes drugs can make you happy. Well, I don't think it made. Drugs okay. always I make you happy. I they see. always <laughs> make you happy. That's the, it's the after effect that usually gets you. Right. So, Corey, what's your take on uh, that whole scene? What do you got? Oh, yeah. When it gets dark. <sighs> it's. It's creepy. Like it, it is. is just a, it is a really fun, creepy hallucination, right? Like it is this I'm trapped one. No one can hear me. I'm kind of buried alive, but I'm not. And then you have what is just a frozen person smiling back at you with time. Well, isn't, isn't he like like speaking to him in his brain? No, it's just Bill's just ranting to himself the whole time. He's having he's having a monologue conversation with him, and, yeah. and he's and he's like not. It's like not, at first he doesn't want to admit that he's dead. Yes, basically he's not like yes he's not accepting that, and you kind of watch it all. Then you and you're watching him go crazy. But I like how it was. Time was frozen, right? Like he was mm-hmm. just there, and it was kind of reiterating. Because they say you have time to change. You have time to change. Well, right there in that moment, uh, this is your time to change. It is frozen for you. Pick. And he and he, and you ooh. and you kind of watch which way he picked I for like the rest that of the movie. See, like and that. that's that's one thing about this scene that I like because I think this is the scene where Bill Murray's character really changes. It's like when he's going through his arc, he kind of turns a little more not being a bastard. I think it is a big turning point. And, you know, to your point, I think this is where like he, he really starts to feel that shit's getting real. You know, he's had these like, you know, so far he could probably chalk it all up to like a, you know, like a bad dream after passing out from drinking too much vodka or something. Well, he was a huge douche to Bobcat Coldwaite's character and he came back to try and murder him. And, you know, there's all that, and he tried to... Well, that's much later, you know, though. Yeah, that is true. But it's like, he's learning how his actions are affecting people, and it's starting yeah. to slowly change how he looks at himself. And that is such a great... That's one of the reasons I love this movie, because I have had um, a number of jobs where, like, I was in security... And for a couple of years, I spent a lot of time watching other people. And then I had to deal with how they reacted. And that taught me a lot about myself. And I think that's what's going on in this movie. It's like he's kind of seeing how other people are reacting to his actions. And it's teaching him more about how everyone views him. And it changes how he views himself and that's how he grows through it. So I, I love this movie for that particular arc and I love watching it unfold. 
Yeah, I I think that's that's really well put, actually. Um, wow, good job! You, you said something intelligent. You sound surprised. surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure you got the right guy for this? <laughs> no, man, it's just yeah. But you know, in contrast, though, when he finally gets to, uh, unless you guys have something else to say about um, uh, this this uh, particular scene, uh, did you have anything, Clay? Before I move on, no, go ahead. Okay, well. You know, in contrast, like Corey's here too. When he gets to the um, <laughs> right, well, no, Corey had some really great stuff. To I'm say just here to watch. Don't worry. <laughs> He's just gonna watch us come to blows over this conversation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, you know, when he does get the visitation from the Ghost Christmas Future, it's not. There's not nearly as it's not nearly as humorous because it's getting really dire. You know for him mm-hmm. but there was one moment when i laughed and that was when so it's like you know he's he's sitting there he's he's kind of uneasy about everything that's gone on this is like after he came back uh from the scene we were just talking about and he like stumbles onto the set and he's like hiding behind the little people you know and like his assistant comes up and she's like he's okay i'll, I'll take him up to his office and they're like why don't you just go up to your office little frankie and you can watch over to production that's right and so they're kind of, you know, uh, condescending to him a little bit because he's mm-hmm. kind of having a nervous breakdown. But like right after that is when death shows up and it like when he's not looking it like reaches its like huge hand out of the monitors and it, you think it's going to like grab him. But then that's when Bobcat Goldthwait shows up. And what was funny to me is is uh, is the ghost of Christmas future is like, nope, I'll, I'll wait. <laughs> it's like <laughs> he's this powerful, you know, ghostly being, but he's he's going to wait on uh, Bobcat Goldthwait to shoot his gun at Bill Murray. But, yeah, I mean, that's that. I mean, this is when things really turn around. And, of course, we have that whole scene with Bobcat where he's shooting at him and t- telling him about how his life has just spiraled down the toilet. And it's like you 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 feel for Bobcat you know, during this, because throughout the whole movie, you've just seen nothing but horrible things happening to him. Like in, it's like every other scene, something awful happening to him. It's like first he's fired and he gets kicked out. And then he's like trying to have a drink, but it falls down when Frank goes by. And then his next one, the ghost of Christmas past takes, and then he's like getting his coat stolen. And, you know, and then he tells this whole story. So I don't know. He's basically Michael Douglas and falling down. You know, <laughs> but like way dry enough, and he's got a shotgun, and and he's talking like this, and you got damn it, you know, and it's great. That whole scene is fantastic, uh, where they're uh, duking it out in the office, and then um, Bill Murray, what is it? He travels to the past. No, he goes to the the thing brings him to the future. He brings him to the and- future. And for, I think doesn't he first see the the kid in like the white padded room? Yeah, the the son growing up. His- yeah, and you know, and it's like here is is when Frank is really trying to. He's at least signaling his intentions to turn things around because as he's leaving, uh, that very sort of dismal scene where his mom gets like a second with him on Christmas in a white padded room. Right. He's like he's saying to the ghost, he's like, "All right, I'm on top of this. We can, we, you know, we can change this. We can do it." Um, I love how they're in that elevator, by the way. And that was like the and <laughs> He's like, you know, is there anyone there with you? He's like, no. He's like, are you sure? Because <laughs> he was so here, just in the elevator with death. <laughs> yeah, that, that that was funny where he at first he thinks the actor is death. Yeah. 
and then he's like down on his knees like begging him and then the actor's like frank what's going on or whatever anyhow anyhow i really want to hear what you guys have to say about when the elevator stops at like claire's future or whatever where she's become as like selfish and jaded as as frank and she like tells the little urchins to go away and has her fancy french waiter shoo them away or whatever like what did you guys think of that because this was another moment where i was like is that a future that really happened because he said that to her one time um i mean i I guess it makes the point and everything but like how did you guys react to that like what were your thoughts about uh selfish claire and Corey, go (laughs) (laughs) uh i like it again i'm gonna probably just say i like everything about this movie but it's the ultimate fall. You have, you know, Bobcat's character. He's basically Job. He's getting everything in life taken from him. And <laughs> Job. We're watching wow. the the evil, you know, grow. And that's Frank. Right. And you have the meeting. But then you basically have the meeting at the very end between, you know, Bobcat and and Bill, but before he gets there, he sees an immediate future that he's like, I can fix, I can fix, don't worry about it, I can fix. And mm-hmm. that's like, yeah, yeah, you're still pleading. I get it, I get it. Because at that point, are we, are we, do we, are, are, is anybody watching still confident that Bill's just not going to revert back to the way he is? And so right. death takes him to the one thing that he has basically put above all else, even, even, even in his time of crisis. Right. Claire and mm-hmm. death shows him because you never changed. This is what happens. You ruined the most beautiful thing in your world. And I, I do, done. you know, despite the fact that I was like, eh, would that happen? I was like, that really is a knife in the gut for him. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it is. It is a true dagger for him. Yeah. Well, that's, that's like what we touched on earlier in, how he how frank deals with stuff but when he's given a choice to deal with his co-workers or you know his uh, acquaintances in real life he's going to react in one way but you can really get a measure of a man by how he's going to react to that which he loves and he loved Claire from the beginning and he did through the whole movie. And so I think that's what kind of pulls the movie together for me is because in the end, he's still honest and true to her who he loved from the very beginning. And he uses that emotion and that feeling to uh, describe and change how he reacts to basically everyone else in life because he approaches them from the same angle. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think that was big, but it really, it really took, I think the next scene to, to really make him, you know, like, yes, I'm actually going to do this and, and, you know, really turn a new leaf, which is, you know, watching his own funeral and like nobody shows up, but his brother and his sister-in-law. And then he's literally in the box freaking out because he's on fire and he's burning. I mean, that's where it gets about as dark as it gets, I think, in this movie. Like, you know, a man trapped in alive inside. I mean, I guess technically it was his funeral, but like he was alive in there burning up. Uh, must not have been fun. Do you think it was that it was here, Clay, that, that he, you know, or do you think it was in the last scene that he finally 
made the final turn? Or like, what do you think of this last scene? Well, it solidified it because as Corey was saying earlier, seeing Claire in the scene before being the way that she was and being a mirror image of him. And then the next scene, seeing his, his funeral and Claire is not there. And so not only did she turn around her whole, yeah. thing, she, she wiped him from his, from, from her slate as well. Uh, so that's even by the time he died in, in this future, he sees she, uh, she didn't care about him either. And I think that I think I think seeing I think all, all three of those scenes just built to it, because even with the little boy, that was that little seed was planted when he was with Carol Kane uh, right. present because he right. saw the boy solve that puzzle that none of his older siblings could. And then he saw the boy with not being understood that he was somebody who was smart and was just misunderstood in a in an insane asylum. So, I mean, all those all those scenes. You couldn't do one without the others to have the effect it had at the end. Yeah, I, I think it is really well written in that way. You know, um, I really do. And so next I want to talk about the end of the movie, uh, which is, you know, what happens immediately after that. But then uh, before we're done, I actually want to go back and talk about the very beginning of the movie because we didn't talk about that in, in specific detail. And it's p- part of the most fun of the movie for me is the very beginning. But um but first, let's talk about this end sequence where, you know, he comes out and he basically, you know, he's not having uh, a is that the scene time. where Iron Man dies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the one. God uh, damn, I hate that. Every movie I watch, Iron Man dies at the end. Damn it. I hate you so much. You don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't. It's true. But um, the thing is, I like in some of the reading that I was doing about this movie, I guess there were some people who weren't convinced that Bill Murray actually had the chops to like do this big monologue at the end. Now, I happen to think that it it turned out to be uh, pretty heartfelt in the end. And I, I believed him, you know, I mean, he was very Bill Murray about it all. And that was good. Uh, But I, you know, I, I kind of did buy that he had been through this transformation, you know, by the end and that it was a big deal for him. Um, now, I don't know if a different actor could have like given it more flair or whatever, but I think that for what the movie is and the tone of the movie, that it that it went down really well. Now, I may or may not have found myself singing at the end uh, uh, when he was directing everybody to sing. But like, how did you guys react to this last scene? And like, you know, uh, Karen Allen's character, Claire is watching it and then she, you know, she shows up and. And, you know, the little boy talks at the end and stuff. Like, how did you react to it? First, Jess, like, what's what's your take on this? How do you think Bill what was? What was the song they were singing? Have a, a little love in your heart. heart. Have a little love in your heart. Yeah, I thought, remember, this is 1988. So when I watch this movie, I'm still in 1988. And I didn't have a problem with it. You know, because the whole movie was about Bill Murray's character learning how to not be so self-centered. And was it a not- satisfying conclusion for you? It was a satisfying conclusion because he was a despicable bastard. 
in the opening scene. And for the first half of the movie, he just kept fighting that and fighting that. And then he was beaten down by the ghosts and he was shown how to look outside of himself and, you know, be an objective person and pay attention to other people's feelings. And I think have a little love in your heart is the perfect song to play at the end of this particular movie because it's the culmination of his character arc. I think this movie single-handedly turned that song into a Christmas song when yeah. Christmas is not mentioned whatsoever. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I love this movie so much is because it it, it perfectly details his arc from a self-centered you know, person to someone who learns, oh, maybe I am an asshole. Maybe I should actually give a shit about people. And and it feels if, good. If there's a goddamn message we want to spread in 2020, <laughs> maybe you should give a fuck about other people once in a while. Just Just every other month, you know, just have a little love in your heart. Boom. Okay. And wear your Corey. mask. <laughs> and wear your mask. Corey, what's, what was your take on this finale? And was it satisfying for you? It was fun. It was a, it was a good way to like wrap the movie up, you know, with the song and then him kind of just again, ad libbing and basically breaking the fourth wall at the end of the movie and just talking directly into the audience. You know, it was even though which worked cause he's talking into the camera in the movie too, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it was cool. It was a great transition from if you were, if you were one of the people who got to see this live and you were watching him kind of ramble on to, what almost after a certain point seems like infinity. And then he basically just is like, feed me Seymour. And then like, go, Whoa, hold on, wait a minute. And he now is talking to everyone in the theater, you know, like that. It was, that was really cool. Like it was, it's, it's almost like when you watch Deadpool and he just kind of winks at you with stuff. You're like, yeah, thanks for, thanks for noticing me back here. Yeah. It was a, it was an interesting break of the fourth wall. Yeah. Huh. What about you, Clay? What's your take on this? Did well, to follow to follow up on that, it's it's Bill Murray being meta before meta was cool. <laughs> the entire breaking of the fourth wall and referencing other movies he had been in, and just I mean that yeah. it just proves that you're never going to see a movie like this again. And that ending works because of the kind of movie that this is. So be, because yeah. because he goes. I mean, they literally, the director had to literally just go, just go, Bill, just do what you're going to do and just rant. We we got, you know, we I need five minutes of it and move from here, here to here and just do your thing. He had to have so much fun and everybody who was there could just react to what he was saying anyways. It didn't have to like try to keep a straight face because it was such an elation and a, and a, and a poignant moment in the movie that everybody could be happy and laughing and, and joke and just all of that perfect ending to this movie. Yeah, I have to agree. I, I And I think it's really, you know, kind of like what you were saying. It's like really appropriate to the tone of this movie that it kind of ends that way, you know, and it's also quirky in a very Bill Murray way. And, uh, you know, he gets the girl and 
Tiny Tim says his line and everybody's happy. And it's that's what makes it a nice Christmas movie to watch. Now, I think it's a, a I don't under honestly, we can get into this in another episode, but I don't understand the Die Hard Christmas story. You know, you I, I well, Die Hard is commonly referred to as the greatest Christmas movie ever. I don't get it. This takes place during Christmas. It takes place during Christmas. Exactly. There's, I mean, like Syriana probably took place during Christmas. It just happened on the other side of the planet uh, in the desert. You know, on the other side of the planet, Christmas could have been taking place. But no one cares about that. It has to do about someone in a Santa Claus outfit. Anyway, I don't think this this movie... Does it have a Santa Claus person? Oh, yeah, which is a great segue to what I want to talk about next, which is the very, very beginning of the movie, (laughs) The Night the Reindeer Died. (laughs) It starts and it's like this zoom in over the North Pole. This is some of the most fun I had with this movie. And I think that it's also part of the like the satirical part of this movie where it's kind of, you know, it's kind of satire of not only like the TV and like, business in Hollywood, but like just like big, like corporate culture, I think. Right. It's like they come in and it's like the zoom in shot and it's like Santa's workshop. But then I don't know, something's attacking and Lee Majors shows up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he plays himself. Lee Majors as Lee Majors. Yeah, even Santa Claus says it's Lee Majors, the six million dollar man. <laughs> and then him and uh Mrs. Claus are there like, you've been a very nice boy this year. And he, he gives them this look like, oh, OK, that's pretty um, awesome. But like, wh- what did you guys th- like? I don't know how long it's been since you guys have seen this movie, but I hadn't seen it in a while. And I kind of forgot about the Lee Majors thing in the beginning. So when I watched it again the other night, it was I, it was just it made me so happy. <laughs> like, what were, like, Clay, what was your reaction to this? Did you remember it? Had it been a long time since you've seen it? What do you think? when I was scrolling through who was in it, you know, as you kept scrolling down to the guys who had the small parts, I was like, who is not in this movie from like the fifties and sixties who were like big actors, (laughs) you know, Jamie Farr. I mean, don't get me wrong. You guys talking about the night the reindeer died. I want to watch Robert Goulet's uh, Christmas in the Bayou or whatever. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) I mean, all of that, all of those um, little vignettes were, were, were great. I mean, the, yeah, the explosion, the fact that, that he comes out with like the gun from predator that Jesse Ventura was using, I think. Is what they were saying. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, it's great. You can't, you can't. Yeah. The first three minutes of this movie, you need to rewind and watch three times because it's just like a, just a, a melange of weird, different, you know, shows and stuff. It was like so many details were so great with it and so hilarious. Like it's like Robert Goulet is like, you know, like pulling through the bayou and he's like singing his song. And then he like looks and there's an alligator coming up. Yeah. And it's like at no point throughout the entire movie, do they ever come back to that? I think it's just like, you know, them just being like, hey, it's a weird intro to this particular TV station. 
or something well, the great like that. thing about it is that it's not just like throwaway jokes that don't have anything to do with the movie. It really cements from the very beginning the type of guy that Frank is, that like this is the type of programming that he produces and puts on TV. And then when, you know, you see his promo for uh, uh, for uh, uh, A Christmas Carol, where it's like, uh, you know explosions acid rain and the woman screams right. he's being burned the acid rain and bill murray like screams along with her like he's having a good time <laughs> you know it's like you better watch it your life may just depend. it just goes to show what a sleaze bag he's become you know it killed an old lady and he loved it it was all the free press he could want <laughs> That's right. That's right. She comes in and they played it. I like how they played that scene because in the beginning she's like, you know, she's got a, a an expression of, you know, like grave concern on her face and in her voice. But it's not because this poor old lady died. It's because like she's excited because now they, you know, get all this PR or whatever. Um, you're right. Yeah. And that I mean, it just goes to show. I don't know. What, what did you guys think of this? These beginning parts? Like, do you have any other comments about it? They were great. Like they're fun. You know, it's, it's a, if you went there and you're like, all right, I'm going to watch a movie about the Christmas Carol with Bill Murray and you sit down and, you know, curtain opens up and film starts and this is what comes on. You're like, what the fuck <laughs> am I watching? And it, it is, it, it really takes you like into the movie, but out of it at the same time, it, it throws you for a complete curve that you almost get out of the, Oh, I'm in a Christmas movie. And it you know, just, yeah. And it's weird. I like, and I like that part about it. That's, that's pretty much a perfect uh, description of it because as far as a Christmas Carol, the original story goes, this movie does approach it, you know, from a modern angle, but it really removes you from the original. So it's almost like you're watching an entirely different story. You know, it's almost like this isn't a remake of an old story. This is something entirely new that you've never seen before. And then as you watch it, you start to see, you know, the different elements come back and you're like, oh, this is a perfect tie in to the original. So that's one of the things I love about this movie is because it does tie into an old story, but keeps it modern, even in 2020. It might be the best remake I've ever seen. <laughs> to be that's, honest with you, that's kind of what I'm saying from the beginning. I love this movie. It's always fresh, as far as uh, Rotten Tomatoes goes. Fresh, um, but yeah, yeah I it, think I think the original Christmas Carol is probably my third favorite Christmas Carol. The top two being this and the uh, there's one Doctor Who Christmas. A special that was basically oh, that's because you're a nerd come on <laughs> as are we oh, all i think god damn it but you know the crazy <laughs> thing is as crazy as crazy and fucked up as those shows were that we just got like the little taste of i would wa- i totally want to see the night the reindeer died with lee mate starring lee major oh yeah like like i might even pay like a couple bucks to rent it i mean actually not to be uh, a weirdo but talking on this podcast about scrooged Kind of makes me want to go watch Screwed Skin. <laughs> and on that note, I so let's do our final thoughts about the movie and wrap up. So, Corey, what are your final thoughts about Scrooged? It's a wonderful movie. You should watch it immediately. 
Stop what you're doing. Go watch it. Yeah, you've had 22 years. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I I like that as a final message. Clay, what are your final thoughts on this movie? They don't make movies like this anymore. This one is one of the ones that if you're going to say, I need to watch a, what someone says, show me an 80s movie. Show them this movie. There's a bunch of them, but definitely include this in that list because you can't you can't make it anymore. You can't you know, you don't have active shooters in the comedy anymore. That's not funny anymore in 2020. We can't joke like that anymore. But this mm-hmm. one, this movie, this is what you watch when you when someone says, I'm really fiending for an 80s movie. And if it's Christmas time, this is the one that goes on. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Jess, what are your final thoughts? On uh, this? Clay, I love uh, your reaction to the movie, and I'm going to kind of double down on it and say that this movie came out in 1988, and it has such a different feel to the movies that we get today. It's such a fun movie, and it doesn't have anything inappropriate to today's culture. It's still you know, within cultural norms and stuff, but man, okay. <laughs> Half the cast is black. Come on, dude. Tiny Tim. Come on. Do, well, there was, do you there want- was one gay joke in there that you wouldn't see nowadays. All right. Well, aside from that, this movie, <laughs> I'm just, aside from that, this movie's fantastic for us straight folk. No, um, this movie is a great film and, as far as Christmas, the whole original story is a Christmas story. And it's a story that has been told and retold time and time again. And this time is told with Bill fucking Murray. And if you can't get into Bill Murray in a Christmas story, perhaps you don't deserve Bill Murray in a Christmas Christmas story. But this movie's a great film. Um, you can really get into it. The jokes are they're kind of still 1980, early 90s. But I it's think just the jokes stand up. I think the humor stands up. Well, they they sure. do stand up, but my favorite part is the character arc. Bill Murray starts the movie as a piece of trash, and he looks at everyone else from his own point of view as a piece of trash. And he really turns and changes through his character arc. And you really feel how he approaches people at the end of the movie. And like I said, you might tear up a little bit, but that's okay. I like it. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I think we're, we're all largely on the, same page with this movie and I really enjoyed it. And I think, I think really pretty much the whole movie stands the test of time. It is still really fun to watch. You don't watch it. in like, you know, I, I don't think there was any moments where I was like cringing. Cause I was like, Oh, that's dated or, you know, like that, that definitely doesn't work anymore. Bill Murray's as funny as he ever was in, in this movie. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I think, the, I think the reason that it stands the test of time is because it focuses more on emotion rather than you know any other 
angle. It's like, well, I think there's a lot of reasons. I think it is, I think it is well written in the structure of it and it is based on a, a classic. So it kind of has that as the, the base, you know, starting point and, you know, Bill Murray's great and all the actors did a great job. And I think that, that the makeup and the effects were amazing. And I love how even, uh, the ghost of future, Christmas's little hell people were like partying inside the <laughs> ATM during the yeah. song, you know. Um, but somehow, you know, it's still funny. Uh, oh, it's still oh great speaking of, before we finish, can we talk about the scene where he watches himself burn to death? We did. Well, I mean, what do you want to say? That was one of the most horrifying scenes. I I saw as a I don't know what was I eleven years old of him in the casket kicking and screaming while it's oh, was feet. it Corey that said this is the type of PG thirteen movie that'll give you nightmares that they don't make anymore something like that no that's me no that was <laughs> yeah. <Clay. laughs> yeah but it's like that scene where he's in his own casket burning to death it's like holy shit. I was 11, 12 years old watching that and going, oh, my God, does that really happen? <laughs> and then I learned that, no, that doesn't happen. And then I learned that, yes, sometimes it happens. Sometimes. Well, they cremate corpses, but usually not. Sometimes it happens. Yeah. Well, on that happy note. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I want to thank you, Clay and Corey, the two dads, for coming on to our show. To make this a four dads review, it was really fun having you guys. I hope we can find a way to do this again uh, in less than a year uh, this time. Would be would be awesome. But Clay and Corey, do you want to tell our listeners where they can find you guys online and what you're up to? Uh, any social media, Two Dads Review, that's T-W-O, Dads Review. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're wherever you find podcasts. You can search it, you can find us. We're there. We're currently on uh, Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery as our as our weekly review. So if you're into Star Trek or not, because Corey's not a Trekkie, so it's fun dragging his ass through some <laughs> So I might have to start listening to those those particular episodes. Yeah, I, I've love been- the, I love the podcast where... One person loves it, and the other person is like, uh, "No, thank you." <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's it. <laughs> Makes for some fun conversations. Yeah, we we had we had a couple of those. Those uh-huh. could be some funnest ones, actually. So, all right. Well, thank you everybody for listening to this episode of Mecha Dragon. We really do appreciate you. Please stop by uh, Apple Podcasts or your choice of podcasting platform and drop us a five star review and or rating. That really does help the show out quite a lot. Jess, why don't you give them our social media details? Why don't I? I'd love to. Uh, if you have Facebook, you can find us as Mecha Dragon. If you have Instagram, you can find us as Mecha Dragon Show. Same with Twitter, Mecha Dragon Show. If you have any questions, comments, or uh, what you'd like to see in the next episode of Mecha Dragon, hit us up at mechadragonshow at gmail.com. And we will see you in the next episode of Mega Dragon. All right. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. And a Happy New Year. Ding, ding.
Our music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0, creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 3.0.